Welcome to Sharp Waves, a podcast from the International League Against Epilepsy. Our episodes cover epilepsy research, clinical care, career development, and issues in diagnosis and treatment from around the globe. Launched in 1997, the global campaign against epilepsy aimed to improve the lives of people with epilepsy worldwide. Dr. Edward Reynolds was president of the International League Against Epilepsy then, and he helped develop the campaign in cooperation with the International Bureau for Epilepsy and the World Health Organization. Dr. Reynolds' efforts were essential to the project, which brought epilepsy out of the shadows and had positive results in many countries. Well, my name is Edward Reynolds, often called Ted by my colleagues, but not by my family. I trained in neurology at the National Hospital, Queen Square, in the 1960s. I spent a year at Yale in 1970, and I returned to be a consultant neurologist at King's College Hospital and the Maudsley Hospital in London, um, with a special interest in epilepsy. And later in that career, I developed a clinical center for epilepsy and an academic institute for epilepsy at King's College London. And I got involved with the League quite early on as a a member of the Commission on Anti-Epileptic Drugs in 1974. And I became vice president of the ILAE in, in 1989 and president in uh, 1993. So when, to let everyone get a better idea, what when it was started, what was there is the global campaign that you got started? What was, this, what was its intention? Well, when I became president of the League, I was already aware that epilepsy was a global problem. Uh, there were differences in incidents in some countries due to brain diseases, infectious diseases, but with an amazingly global problem. It was also a very neglected and stigmatized problem. It occurred to me while I was in the early days of my presidency, because the ILE is affiliated, like the IBE, to the World Health Organization, and they meet the WHO and presidents of all the NGOs meet in December every year. and. I went in 93 and 94, and it seemed to me this was not a terribly constructive meeting. Uh, They'd ask us what we were doing, we'd ask them what they were doing, and they'd ask us for information uh, about this or that disease. And it occurred to me, really, we could do better than this. It occurred to me we could form a partnership, and that's what I tried to sell to the WHO and to the IBE over the course of 1995-96, and everybody agreed to it, which was great. What were some of the driving factors that really brought you to this, that we have to work together on this problem? I suppose the first one, that it was a global problem that needed a global attention and could be attacked globally. I didn't know of any other disease that was more globally distributed. And it didn't, there were no social class, no age, no geographical boundaries. And it really required a a major partnership and initiative 
of these three organizations to set about what we identified as the major objectives of the global campaign to raise awareness, to improve education and training, to identify the needs of people with epilepsy, to dispel myths and misunderstandings, and to encourage every department of health in different countries to do their own thing for epilepsy. Those were the objectives. Quite ambitious, but it required a lot of effort over a long time to get everybody on board. There were some reservations in the, especially in the Bureau, about getting involved with the World Health Organization, which is a fairly unfathomable giant organization. And there was a slight worry that there might, there might be financial demands on the Bureau, which was less well endowed than the League. Others were quite worried about launching a campaign for brain disorder under the Division of Mental Health. There was a lot of issues about why are neurological NGOs affiliated to the Division of Mental Health in WHO, although it had a division of uh, a unit of neuroscience, which is what we were all attached to. Neuroscience came under the umbrella of mental health. And I remember a lot of the other neurological NGOs at that time were very worried. But in fact, I was not too bothered about that because I always saw epilepsy as a bridge between neurology and psychiatry. And also, as Penfield said, it was a, a window on the brain. So these were some of the obstacles, but it didn't take too much effort to get around them. When you got started, what, what, were, what was the situation for people with epilepsy? At the time, with regard to epilepsy, every country was a developing country. I mean, I was aware of how neglected epilepsy was in my own country. I had set up a charity, the Fund for Epilepsy, with the view of establishing a clinical center. You see, there were only five epilepsy clinics. In 1990, there were five epilepsy clinics in the whole country. This is UK now. And in my part of the world, there were eight diabetic clinics just in the southeast of England. And I set up the first regional epilepsy clinic in the country at King's. And, of course, there was a great deal of, of misunderstanding, prejudice and stigma, which we're all very familiar with. But this was in my own country. And I got to realize as I joined the League and became more globally aware that, of course, in developing countries, they weren't getting any treatment at all in, the, in about two-thirds. Quite a few studies at that time had showed that the treatment gap, is, that is that those people with epilepsy were not getting any treatment, not even phenobarbitone, varied between about 60 and 98%, especially in rural communities. Right. And, you know, here was a treatable brain disease not getting treated, not well treated in my own country. There weren't services. Uh, so the need for greater global attention to epilepsy was apparent in my own country and developed countries and in much more so in developing countries. One of the issues I think you touched on briefly, epilepsy was a stigmatized disease, and even today people work to hide the fact that they have epilepsy. Back when you first started this, how much was the the image 
of epilepsy and people who have epilepsy a, a barrier to people seeking help? Well, it was still very wide, very widespread. I mean, I I can illustrate this with some statistics which astonish me. When we we set up a charity, the Fund for Epilepsy in the UK, and quoting Graham Greene, who's a distinguished author who was diagnosed with epilepsy, and he wrote about that, and I've written a paper about his epilepsy, which he probably didn't have. It was a misdiagnosis. But he said, this was back in the 20s and 30s, three great unmentionables were cancer, leprosy, and epilepsy. And to a large extent, that was true in the 1990s, less so for cancer. And I discovered that um, whereas one or 200 million pounds were being raised for cancer, more money was being raised for leprosy in my country than for epilepsy. And we didn't have any leprosy at all in the United Kingdom, yet we could raise more money for it than for epilepsy. Yeah. It's really at the bottom of the league. And this illustrated the hidden nature. Now, people, public figures didn't want to reveal their epilepsy. And I knew that because I knew one or two public figures. So that was an example in my own country. But of course, it's even worse in developing countries where the misunderstanding and ideas of possession and punishment. I've always taken an interest in the history of epilepsy. And I had the privilege of working with a Babylonian scholar in Cambridge, son of a famous neurologist who you'll have heard of, Kenny Wilson, uh-huh. of Wilson's disease. Well, I worked with his son on Babylonian neurology. I began with Babylonian epilepsy. In the British Museum, there is a tablet, a Babylonian tablet, describing all the different seizure types, or most of them, that we recognize today. So this was fascinating, but of course it was all due to possession in those days, uh-huh. and, remain, and remained so for, for centuries. So this is very deep, deeply rooted, the stigma and prejudice and misunderstanding, very deeply rooted. And that was something that needed uh, global attention as well. It appears that there has been some effect from the campaign on the image of epilepsy and the issue of stigma. What kind of changes have you seen in terms of people's perception of epilepsy in, in different parts of the world? Well, I've seen a great improvement in, in my own country and in Western countries. I, I think I would defer to each particular country as to what their view is as to how Epilepsy is coming out of the shadows in their particular countries. The chapters of the League and the Bureau got behind this campaign fairly on, fairly early on. And it it was always going to be that the global initiative would be supporting individual chapters and organizations to do the best they could within their own country and with their own limited resources. And that's why, in fact, we set up demonstration project in some countries early on in the campaign. And China was a very good example of this. China set about, first of all, using local public health workers to identify epilepsy and then bringing treatment to them with phenobarbital. And all I can say is that in those countries that I've had some contact, 
um, in, in recent years, that's in China and Russia, that quite clear that this has helped to raise spell myths and misunderstandings as well as bring treatment. Obviously, that it's easier to measure how many people are getting treatment now than were before. It's not so easy to measure the emergence out of the shadows, but I'm assured by my contacts in some countries that this is what's happening. I don't know how you measure that. I remember in, in talking with Xichuo Li about the China project, which was a very important project in the very early stages of this, that they you know, worked really hard and that people were far more willing after they'd done these educational programs in various provinces, that people were much more comfortable talking about it, getting treatment. Was that your impression when the you know, when the first stages of the demonstration project in China were completed? I think it's very difficult to dispel deeply held um, religious views or views about punishment or infectious diseases, but edu it's education, isn't it? It's all about educating, and there's been a tremendous growth in education, and, and the League has taken the lead in that. We've had academies of epilepsy. And I think the growth of education in developing countries through the League and the Bureau has been very, very uh, worthwhile. And the greater the education, the more they accept the need to, be, to treat the disorder because actually underlying it all, there is some electrical dysfunction in the brain and it's not possession and it's not infectious. It's not due to the influence of ancestors the more it comes out of the shadows. Registration is now open for the 15th European Epilepsy Congress, held September 7th through 11th in Rome, Italy. Join your colleagues for five days of teaching courses, platform sessions, symposia, career development sessions, and more. To receive a discount on registration fees, register by May 10th. Visit the ILAE website for more information or register directly at bit.ly slash ILAE Rome. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash I-L-A-E-R-O-M-E, -E, all lowercase. Thanks for listening. You, know, you talked about how early on when you got started, there was really little resources for people, even in the UK. For yes. And now we're 25 years on. How has that changed? Oh, it's changed enormously. I've lost track of the number of epilepsy services and clinics there are in the United Kingdom. I'm, I'm very retired and out of touch, but I do know that there will be an epilepsy clinic in every region of the country, and not just for adults, but for children. And wow. Epilepsy surgery centers now are in every, in every medical school. We've even now got a National Institute of Epileptology. What I began with my colleagues at King's when we set up the first university institute in the 1990s also, this year, the various charities have come together to establish the Epilepsy Research Institute UK. That's a major development, a, a, a national 
Institute, which has the potential to vastly increase the research. And uh, even today, I got an email. They put out a bulletin every month telling us what's going on in research in epilepsy, which is amazing. And there are people all over the country joining in and discussing their research and presenting their research. So that's a big change. I can tell you that in my own country. In just 25 years, that's, that's impressive. There are three organizations that continue to work on this. The, the, the League, the Bureau, and the WHO, do they, in your mind, even from the beginning, do they, they have very distinct roles in, in this? Yes, in the sense that we mobilized the, the League chapters and the Bureau chapters. So each there is a history, of course, when the League and the Bureau didn't get on so well back in the 1980s. But at the time I was president, the League and the Bureau were working very well together, and they had interlocking executives, and that helps enormously. But the WHO has, it doesn't have national chapters, it has regional offices. They went out of their way to mobilize their regional offices, alerted them to what was going on when we launched the, certainly when we launched the second phase of the campaign in 2001. Every regional office was represented, and we mobilized the neurological NGOs to come and support us, which most of them did. So yes, that each has a, a role, a professional role, a public and lay role, and a political role. And I think it's the partnership of the three that can make a difference, and did and has made a difference. You know, one of the things that struck me, and you just mentioned this, was the WHO has regional offices. My impression from your, your recent Epilepsy Open paper was that the League didn't have that, really, um, at the time the global campaign began. Was this one of the driving forces for creating more formal, regionalized structures for the League? It certainly helped. That wasn't the, the prime motivation was to take a global approach to a global problem. I was hardly myself aware of the regional structures of the WHO when I started. I mean, WHO is complex. It is a bit unfathomable, and you have to make an effort to understand how it works, which I made a big effort to do. And I gradually learned about its structures, and I gradually learned who were the most influential people, and that eventually you need to get to the director general, which we did. And that was a, that was a major achievement, to get the director general behind a global campaign for a non-communicable disease, the first one ever. Because, as you can well understand, the WHO is terribly preoccupied with infectious diseases, communicable diseases. Dr. Grohal and Brundtland, a Norwegian physician. It worked to our advantage when she came in in 1998. She had already made up her mind that she wanted to give non-communicable diseases as much attention as communicable diseases. First time ever in the WHO. Well, that was good for us. I don't know what the situation is now, and I know the structures keep changing, but I'm out of date. I think that's a testament there. What you achieved is just a persistence that you, you have to keep working on them. It's an important aspect. One of the things that I recall early on was that 
And I know Hanukkah DeBoer was very proud of this, that, that there was an atlas of, of epilepsy resources, I think, by country that he created with the, with the WHO. What was the reason for doing that? And, and how did you go about doing it? Well, it's, it was a fairly logical thing to do. I didn't have much to do with that because uh, I think that came out after the um, launch of the second phase when I stepped down at Hanukkah DeBoer took over as chairperson, and she pushed this very hard, quite rightly. I mean, if you want to know, if you want to make a difference globally, you need to know what's going on globally. And so it was a very worthwhile attempt to try and establish what services were or were not available. I've seen it. It's, it's, a, it's a very impressive report in terms of where there are training programs, who has the expertise and in, in, in all of that, and access to medications. It's a good, it's a good point, starting point for being able to measure success. Yes. So looking back now, are you impressed, pleased with the progress that has been made over the 25 years since, or more, about 25 years since the, 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 the campaign started? Yes, I'm, I'm, it's exceeded my expectation, to be honest. Um, it's taken longer than I had anticipated <laughs> but you know when you think what what you're trying to do with a global problem of course it's probably not been too long but to mobilize first of all we had 60 chapters uh at the launch of the campaign so I, i'm not even sure how many chapters there are now but we're well into the hundreds well there are 194 countries affiliated to w <laughs> to the united nations and WHSO. We had to grow as well, which it has been doing, and the Bureau similarly. And to think that by 2015, we got the WHO, all 194 countries, to pass a resolution um, recommending or demanding the Departments of Health in every country in the world to develop their own national programs to improve prevention treatment care uh, for epilepsy, that was a, a major milestone. And then, to my great pleasure, I have to say, to see that it joined forces with the neurological NGOs, some of the neurological NGOs, they were preoccupied with why are we under mental health? They, they wanted to get that out of the way first before they could come to join with this sort of campaign. And they never resolved that problem. Except I think people have come to understand that it's not such a big deal. But to have the neurological NGOs, the World Federation of Neurology, joining in, and I give enormous credit to my good friend, Professor Rad Shakir, who was president of WFN in, in that era. He joined with the League of in getting this through. He had an interest in epilepsy. And then his successors have done the same at their executives. So I'm very pleased to see this evolve into a joint campaign with other neurological support. I hadn't anticipated that, but I'm pleased to see it. It's amazing what will happen once you get things started. They take on some momentum. Yes, but then each executive of the League and the Bureau, I think you've been involved with the League for quite a few years. Yes. A couple of decades, haven't you? I first started in 2007, sort of. A yeah, so nearly two decades. 
So you've seen each executive do, trying to do their bit, increase the reach and momentum. And of course, the w, by getting the WHO to pass these resolutions, that these are milestones. This is another um, milestone in the progress of bringing treatment to, to a very treatable brain disorder and to destigmatizing it and bringing it out of the shadow still. So yes, I'm I'm delighted to see all that. I, I think that this is another example. You know, ever since you got started, of the, the necessity for persistence and and a a, a long term perspective on on moving things forward. Yes, I, I, mean, I think I think that is true. I think the it is the dawning of the fact that this is a global problem. You know, epilepsy is truly a global problem more so than i think i'm aware with other other diseases and that there are global organizations that can get together and try and do something about it together i think that was the key really well it gives us hope that better days are coming well thank you so much this has very been very enjoyable talking with you and getting your perspective on the out the, the history of the and how much progress has been made is always when one is in the middle of things it's always hard to see how far things have come but yes always more to do but it's we've come a long way thanks for listening to sharp waves our content is meant for informational purposes only and not as medical or clinical advice. The International League Against Epilepsy is the world's preeminent association of health professionals and scientists working toward a world where no person's life is limited by epilepsy. Find more Sharpwaves episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at ilae.org.